0: Hi, welcome to the podcast of our Revelation study here at First Baptist Church to Queen. We are going through the entire book of Revelation. My name is Pastor Josh Horwick, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist to Queen. And throughout several months now, we have been looking verse by verse through the book of Revelation. If you have any questions or comments, uh, please contact us here at First Baptist Church to Queen. You can do that through our website, duqueen.church. Uh, There you can find all the information that you need to get in contact with us. We can't wait to hear from you, so feel free to drop a like or share this podcast if you find it helpful. Well, this week we are in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, John writes, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. There there is, is the singular unified voice of a massive crowd praising God in heaven for His salvation, glory, power, judgment, truth, and justice. Now, each of these characteristics are on display in his judgment of Babylon, the world's cultural system, the the world's uh, religion. And uh, Babylon led so many away from God and killed so many disciples of Jesus. And God's judgments, you see there, God's judgments are righteous. And thus, because they are righteous, they are worthy of praise. This is also first of the four uses of the word hallelujah in Revelation 19, which, interestingly, uh, are the only uses of the word in the New Testament. And, more often than not, its use in the Old Testament is usually translated as praise God rather than using the word hallelujah itself. Look at verses 3 and 4. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. So we see here Babylon is forever dead and will never return to corrupt or harm anyone ever again. At this cry of praise from the great multitude, the 24 elders and the four living creatures around the throne of God agree in praise. Now, this is also the final mention of the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures in Revelation, fitting that their final mention should be one of worship. Look at verses 5 and 6. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So every praise offered to God is received in the same fashion, irregardless of how the world's culture places value on an individual. God receives praise universally and equally, in spirit and truth, from anyone and everyone. And now notice, though, there, John here, he he seems to be struggling to describe how this great unified cry, uh, this this voice of the great multitude sounded. It, It seemed to be from a huge crowd. It was like the roar of water. It was like powerful thunder. He did his best to help us, the readers, to understand the power that it had. And the voice praises God because He is King over all things. Look at verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, In uh, the Old Testament, uh, Israel is often referred to uh, as the bride of God. However, here we see that the bride is believers. The time has come for the marriage. This is the end. This is the time for the complete union of the entire church to be uh, physically with Jesus for eternity. And we see there that the church will be clothed with the actions of God's will, the righteous deeds. The righteous deeds are the actions of God's will. They will be worn as clothes because they are visible to anyone who is looking at the church. Similarly, anyone looking on the church today will see what we have adorned ourselves with. Hopefully, they will uh, hopefully, just as they will here in Revelation 19, they will see the righteous deeds that are adorning the church here in Revelation 19. Look at verses 9 and 10. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his, at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So only believers come to the wedding supper. Believers are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a a celebratory feast. For all those associated with the Lamb. So, this concluding celebration is for all believers to participate. And the angel adds there, these are the true true words of God. He, He says that for emphasis. This is a very important moment celebrating God's sovereignty and power. It is also very significant that the angel draws attention to the fact that. Angels and believers are fellow workers for God together. They are working together to accomplish the will of God in the roles into which the Spirit has placed them. Angels doing what God designed them to do and the believers uh, doing what God designed them to do. Now notice that he says there, uh, the angel says, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, the gospel is the spirit of prophecy. Is in essence what all biblical prophecy points to, towards the the gospel of Jesus, salvation's story. Uh, look at verses eleven and twelve. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So, the great battle here is at hand. Heaven opens to reveal one side of the battle. A rider on a white horse. The white is is symbolic for victory. Uh, The rider is the only one who is faithful and true. The writer can only be Jesus. He is the one who judges. You see there that the writer has fire eyes. This could indicate that nothing can be hidden from him. And notice also the the diadems there. Whereas the dragon from Revelation 12 had seven diadems, and the beast has ten diadems, the writer has too many diadems to count. The, 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 this represents, or the diadems, uh, represent his majesty and glory that far exceed that of the imposters, the dragon and the beast. Uh, the writer also has a name that no one can know except himself alone, telling us that there are uh, aspects to Jesus that are unknowable. Look at verses 13 and 14. The rider, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now this is very interesting. You see, the rider has not even entered into battle yet, and he uh, has his robe covered in blood. The blood is his own. It is a testament to the authority with which he enters the battle. He is just uh, entering the battle, judging the participants, and uh, coming out victorious because of his death and resurrection, sealing the eternal covenant. Judgment comes against those who have rejected the covenant for which his blood was spilt. So the blood is his own, demonstrating the covenant that he is that he has already sealed. And those he is fighting or those who are fighting against him are those who have rejected that covenant. So the blood being present on him as he is riding into battle is a reminder of why he is there. And then it says that Jesus is called the Word of God. This is very interesting considering that the Gospel of John, uh, written by the same guy who wrote the book of Revelation, the Gospel of John was probably written after Revelation. And John refers to Jesus as the Word of God in John 1.1. The very first verse in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here the name of Jesus is the Word of God. Now, in ancient times, in both Jewish and Greek worlds, the phrase, the word, pointed towards deity. And so it would be understood by all who read this that this had to be God. And it is Jesus who is God. So the writer is Jesus. The writer is God. The writer there, you look in verse 14, he has the armies of heaven following him. He is followed onto to the field of battle by an army. Now, notice he's followed into battle. He's not accompanied. Into battle. He does not need help in fighting the battle, but those who are following him will observe what, what is about to happen. Now, who are these people, these writers, or the, these followers, I guess? Well, Revelation 17 14 says that Jesus will have followers with him as he conquers in battle. In addition, this army is wearing the same clothing as the church from just a few verses earlier uh, in Revelation 19, verse. Eight. So it would seem that this army following Jesus is the church, the believers. Look at Revelation 19.15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So the writer comes into battle with great power, as is displayed with a sharp sword flying out of his mouth. He will win the battle with that sword. Now, the sword coming out of his mouth, this is reminiscent of Hebrews 4, verse 12, that says the word of God is living and active. And Ephesians 6, verse 17, that says the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The word of God, Scripture itself, could be here in Revelation 19, could be the sword. So, Then this picture would be Jesus as the living word will win the battle with the word of God coming from his mouth as it is spoken by him. He will then rule with a rod of iron with absolute authority as was prophesied in Psalm 2 verse 9 and is written of in Revelation 2 verse 27. And then the wine of God's wrath that was previously mentioned in Revelation 14, 19, and 20, is brought about by this writer. Now look at verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written a name, or he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now the name is on his thigh, so it's close and it's powerful. It is also easily recognizable to any and all who would look on him. It's on his robe as well. The name indicates his powerful designation as the supreme ruler over and above every other would-be ruler, past, present, or future. Look at verses 17 and 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. So the declaring angel here is standing in the sun, in the sun. Now this is a vantage point for all birds to hear his call to action. And the angel speaks of of a supper in direct contrast with the celebration supper of the wedding mentioned earlier in the chapter. Then the angel tells of everything that will be destroyed from those considered to be the greatest by the world's culture to those considered to be the lowest, thus completely stamping out evil and sin. Now look at verses 19-21. through Let's finish the chapter. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So the beast is leading out the armies of the world to fight against Jesus. And though the beast and the false prophet had power, before Jesus they are powerless. They draw up their armies to fight a great battle, but no battle will end up being waged. Jesus will single-handedly come out victorious, using the sword of the word of God. Now This fulfills a prophecy from Isaiah 11 verse 4 that says, "...He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth." And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. The beast and the false prophet are the only ones taken from the battle alive. And they are thrown into the lake of fire, which is destruction. A common view of the end of a battle was the feast of birds. The battle would end, the feast would come, and and they would, uh, or the birds would come, and they would feast. And now that's the same here. The birds had their fill on the evil, sinful dead. Now, thank you for joining us in this examination of Revelation 19. Uh, As we continue the journey through the entire book of of Revelation, we're almost done, just a few more chapters. So join us again next time as we continue to see what God is communicating to us here today through his revelation. And I'll catch you in the next one.